it was early in Jesus' ministry, after the twelve were chosen, and the infrastructure between teacher and disciple was in the beginning stages of being developed. Now Jesus gave a discourse that today is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew and to a lesser extent in Luke. In Luke we see the addition, that is not in Matthew, of what are called the woe comments that were added as almost an addendum to the four Beatitudes that Luke quotes, Matthew has eight. We also see a different phrasing in the Beatitudes between Matthew and Luke. Matthew generally uses third person, and Luke speaks in second person. Also, as well as within the wording of the four found in Luke, that would have a parallel to Matthew, where in Matthew we find a more generic outcome or reward, so to speak. In Luke it is almost individually personalized. As with what was said about the Ten Commandments, let's remember something that is important in just knowledge. Probably nobody was there taking notes, and that at best the two Gospels who bear the name Matthew and Luke, they were not written until some 30 years later, and only presumably Matthew heard it firsthand. And yet, it marks the emergence of one who spoke with authority. Undoubtedly, it was so impactful on those who heard that quite possibly notes were soon thereafter written, as well, of course, as the many who then probably rushed off to tell family and friends who were not present that they were hearing something different and strange and wonderful, and that would increase perhaps the, the, the probability that the Beatitudes are fairly accurate then as we see them today. Today, we can read the Beatitudes as we find them in, in Matthew, that's generally where they're read, or Luke, if you want to, with almost a disconnected attitude of a dispassionate observer, for we've been exposed to them over many, many, many years, and we also now have hindsight into the whole of Jesus' recorded ministry, things the hearers on that gentle hillside by the Sea of Galilee were hearing for the very first time. Impactful stuff, mind-blowing for the hearers who only had the Pentateuch and some other scrolls of what today we have as the Old Testament. His hearers, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, were very aware of a promised Messiah and especially then, under the heavy-handedness of Rome, they were looking for one who would come and be another King David who would free them from the current repression. So they were very anticipatory of a promised coming. Therefore, when there appeared someone who stepped out of the current mold and began to not just parrot the law as found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, but to speak from a new and fresh understanding of God, things they've never heard before. 
people listened. Now, jumping ahead a little bit in the ministry of Jesus, this was also a historian's view of his undoing, if we can use that phrase. For as the people were expecting a kingly type of warrior Messiah, and Jesus tried to gently tell them that my kingdom is really not of this world, they slowly lost interest. And we are aware, of course, of then what happened. But that's a different lesson time of year. The people were living under a strict Mosaic law, which the Romans let them exercise. But one where, if you were a very pious Jew, you were also aware of some 500 odd strict laws that must be obeyed in impossible tasks. So when they heard not the words, thou shalt not, but blessed are you if it got the commoner's attention as well as the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, full of guess what? Yeah. But to the point of this morning, when in Israel we had time to actually walk on the traditional site where the Beatitudes were shared. And it is a gentle upward slope from the Sea of Galilee, not a mountain, but a very low hill. And there's a unique quality to this area that many have also mentioned. Uh, one's voice carries somewhat further than one would expect it to. But a peaceful place, shelling was not seen or heard. What happened? Well, Jesus gathered his disciples to teach them, and the word got out and others came. Do we know how many? Of course not. No way of knowing. But in all probability it lasted much longer than one day. The people going to their homes at night or the homes of family members in the area and then returning. Remember the Sermon on the Mount contains the Beatitudes, but it is so much more. And yet the scanty reporting we have covers only three chapters in Matthew. Think how much we are missing. Quoting from the King James Bible, which is the one that the majority of people use, it is recorded that Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the conclusion being then, as many people throughout the years have accepted, that we are being asked not to have much of a backbone at all, relinquishing almost all of our processes of, of reasoning and uh, thinking to another, even, even unto Jesus. And yet if we believe that his true mission was one of example and not of exception, then this couldn't have been what he really was trying to say. George Lamza, in his translation from the Aramaic, meaning, as contrasted with the King James, not a translation of a translation of a translation, on and on, but a direct translation from Aramaic scrolls into English. He states that the correct wording for this is, Blessed are the humble, or the unassuming, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And aside, the Lamza translation of the Bible as compared to the King James, there are over 10,000 differences. 
some very minor and some very major. And that sounds like a lot, but when you extrapolate it out, it's, it would come to about three per page in the Bible. And it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's the one that we, we use here. I was privileged to study with George Lambda for a year, and uh, it's, 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 it speaks to me more than the King James. But understand, when he said this, then blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's put this into context, because this is important. He said this in the middle of an environment when it was very common for the religious leaders of the day to stand on the street corners and pray loudly, presumably to then receive the accolades from the people who would witness their display and be convinced of their piety and specialness. And of course you remember that of them Jesus said they had their reward. So if poor in spirit means something other than standing on the street corners of the land so as to put on a show of religious fervor, then where does it take us today? Maybe the simplest of ways that we could view this beatitude would be telling us to keep a willingness to accept that we, in all probability, really do not know much of anything, what it means, what it's for, and hence to maintain a constant willingness for spirit to reveal to us ever, ever more deeply its truth. You know, it's, it's very true, isn't it, that absolutely everything and anything that we now can define or describe or categorize is because we have been taught that that's what it is. I often think this as I look at some common things in my world here on site. Uh, let's, let's just say a lizard or a sparrow. You know, I would love to ask them what they call themselves, and it probably isn't a lizard or a sparrow and how they would describe their place in the great scheme of things. Do I know it is a lizard or a sparrow? Or are these simply words that I have gained a degree of acceptance in our world, uh, the languages therein? Now granted, uh, the example of a lizard or a sparrow isn't all that important unless you are a lizard or a sparrow. But don't we have other sacred cows within our lives? And if you have been in unity or new thought for some period of time, you've examined at least a few of them and hence have done so from a very special state of humility that the first beatitude is speaking to. For theirs then is the kingdom of heaven, is the promised outcome from a state of humility or a state of unassuming, or at least a willingness to no longer claim to know all the answers and to broadcast that only we are right. So is the kingdom of heaven then limited to only those who successfully demonstrate the truth as within the first beatitude? Is there some special mark made in someone's soul perhaps or a secret code or handshake that at some point will be shared? Well, yeah, sort of. For the kingdom of heaven is not a specific place or a piece of celestial real estate, right? It is a state of consciousness that then, of course, always becomes a place, for we are always somewhere. But to enter its gates, which means to do this on a conscious level of our mind and heart, requires 
an ongoing understanding and acceptance of who and what we are in God and who and what God is in us. If we close the door by stating my beliefs are right, what I know to be true about God is correct, always has been, always will be, end of communication, end of conversation, I know what I know and it's right. If we do this, we are attempting to insert a rigid state of consciousness into an ever-expanding one, sometimes referred to as the round peg in a square hole or vice versa, and it doesn't work. The Beatitude could conversely be stated, questionable are the spiritually arrogant, for theirs is the kingdom of hell. Now don't jump to conclusions. For like heaven, hell is also a state of consciousness that manifests in our lives as disorder, anarchy, confusion, chaos, disarray. And this is not what is the kingdom. This is not the truth of God. So, so what is it you, and I'm using first person here, but, well, second actually, but I'm including myself as well. Well, what is it you know in your life that is unchallengeable and beyond correction or fine-tuning? Well, I hope really there is but one thing, and that is the realization that God is. Period. That is unchallengeable beyond correction or fine-tuning. But if there's other things after that, you see, until we reawaken within us the ability and the knowledge and the power of our oneness with God to speak the creative word and have a solar system brought into being, perhaps there is absolutely nothing that we now hold to be inviolate that should be beyond challenge or re-examination as to what we really want to have within our personal clearinghouse to which the energy of God moves as to form our world. See, right now, everything, absolutely everything that is in our world, from the bodies we wear to the finances we either have or don't, to the people that seem to be sharing a part of our lives, to anything that gets our emotional attention, be it around the other side of the world, everything, it is all present for us because of something we believe either to be true about us or about God. Now, if it isn't true true, then our experience is not the kingdom of heaven. Why? Well, the kingdom of heaven, while a state of consciousness, for us to truly experience its allness and its wonder necessitates that we are in synchronization with the truth, not a falsehood, not a half-truth, but the truth. But I believe this be attitude for they can all be looked at like this, to embrace a new frame of reference, a new thought system that we uh, use in our process. Uh, what I believe this be attitude is saying, then, is to be mindful that we are spiritually unassuming, or humble, if you like that word, as we continue to unfold our journey and to be increasingly willing to acknowledge that in all probability we do not possess the final word of the knowledge 
the knowledge of or the identity of or the purpose of practically anything within our lives. Remember now, God energy flows through us, not to us. So if we did understand correctly everything about God and spirit and how the kingdom unfolds and works, then we would not experience, even, even visually see, disorder, anarchy, confusion, chaos, disarray in any form whatsoever. So the clearinghouse within then might need something changed. It might need a new idea. It might need a different standard. So what to do? Well, keep an open mind to spirit. Speak words of invitation to God to reveal more of the truth within any moment, within any situation, within any experience. And if we sense disorder, anarchy, confusion, chaos, and disarray, and because God is, then we further know that this is not of the kingdom. And that means that we are seeing something incorrectly, that we are holding something that is not true. We are believing something about ourselves or God that isn't real, capital R. And once we do that, then to say, Dear God, help me find within me what I need to redo or change or re-examine. Show me how. Concept, a better idea. And we then have the wording, Blessed are those who acknowledge only God as their source, for theirs is the kingdom of abundance. I'm going to use two words, words you've heard before and words you know, but words that speak volumes of an indication of a state of watchfulness that maybe is there for us to make. And the two words are channel and source. To allow a fragmented mind or a portion thereof within us, a fragmented portion of the mind to view a channel, a channel of the abundant kingdom of God, as our source, in other words, to look to what? Person, place, thing, government, institution, as that which must continue and that which must be exactly as it is right now for us to be blessed with abundance, is to set ourselves up to experience fear. Why? Channels will always fulfill their job description, and it is to disappear, to change, or to go away. And if we build into our consciousness and know that we know that we know that only God is our source, channels will be allowed to do what they do best, to change, to disappear, or to go away. But the open mind will then be receptive to the other channels that are always there because God knows not how to not do what God is, and that's extend the kingdom extend the abundance, extend what God is through channels as we see them right now, but not limited to any one of them unless we put the limitation upon it. It's like a door closing and turning around and pounding on the closing door, yelling, screaming, scraping our fingernails and not seeing the many other doors that are opening. And so an open channel flowing into an open or aware consciousness is but another definition of heaven or the full awareness of the kingdom of abundance. And so gently examine maybe where you are giving the gift of your allegiance as 
source in your life. You just may be giving it to the wrong place. And if this is discovered to be true, then go back to that which is unchangeable, that which begins all things. God is and start building again a new awareness, a new ongoing, sequential, logical, solid realization of God as source in your life. Reprogram into consciousness. Only God is my source, and mine, therefore, is the kingdom of abundance.